How's everybody doing? Wow, okay. Uh, did you see Laura's Bible? Anybody see that? I love seeing Bibles like that where the pages look like they've been used and it's folded open and there's a little bit of tattered because it's been studied and written in. So, Laura, I appreciated seeing that. Um, this morning's title for this morning's talk is called Sent to Demonstrate. We are concluding a series that we've been calling Sent. The church is not just called to sit. The church is not just called to sleep. The church is sent. So we are sent to all people, we talked about with Peter and Cornelius. We're sent to encourage, we talked about with Barnabas. And last week, Steve talked about how we're sent to proclaim. Because what we say matters. That really resonated with me last week when Steve said that. What we say matters. What we say to others what we say on social media, what we say in private, what we say from a stage like this, what we say matters, and particularly what we say to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to others, but we also need to proclaim the gospel to ourselves. Well, today we're talking about sent to demonstrate. To demonstrate what? Well, to demonstrate faith. Faith. Anybody have a good definition for faith? If you're participating from home today, type it in the chat. Anybody have a good definition for faith? That's, that's a good one. We should look at that, actually. <laughs> Do you know what? The more I think about it, I'm, I'm not really sure if we've had a great definition for faith. I know lots of different types of explanations for faith. You know, in the Bible, there's, there's not necessarily one clear, definitive sentence to define faith. Did you know that? The Bible lists it more than 350 some odd times, but there's no clear definition for faith. This, this is Faith Baptist Church. We gather together online, here in person, our Faith Baptist Church. We call ourselves a people of faith. Maybe you've been called a person of faith, but what is faith? Is that a fair question to ask? How do we define faith? You know what I've found in studying? Faith is not as easy to define, and it's even harder to demonstrate. But faith is not necessarily meant to be defined. It's meant to be demonstrated. We are sent to demonstrate a life of faith. So with that, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll start in there. Uh, last week, Steve finished at Hebrews chapter 10. The first 10 chapters of Hebrews, wow. And we made it to the end of chapter 10, and it talks about how we are called to faith. The church is sent to demonstrate faith. We, as a New Testament church, are called to demonstrate faith. We are called to faith. James chapter 2 and verse 18, we, we spoke about James just a few weeks back. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith is meant to be shown. It's meant to be demonstrated. So let's dig into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. How many people have heard that verse, those verses before? How many people have it memorized? Okay, few. One, one version, one translation translates it this way. Faith is the confidence. Faith is the conviction. And faith allows us to receive the commendation. So what do you think my three points are going to be for this, 
for this message. What do you think? Uh, confidence, conviction, commendation. Let's make it a little, little simpler. Confident, convinced, commended. How confident do you feel today? If you would rate yourself like an 8 to 10 on the confidence scale, participating at home, what, what would you say? Would you say like 8 to 10, confident? What about convinced? What are you convinced of these days? You know, I thought I was convinced about the vaccine. I don't think about much about vaccines because I leave the rest of it up to the medical system. Why wouldn't I leave this up to it? But then I read this article that a friend shared, and I bumped into this person in the grocery store. I never thought about that. And, and then we, we base our understanding of medicine on a few articles and a few conversations when people have spent decades in the medicine industry. And I'm not saying anything political about vaccines, but do you know what I'm saying? How many feel convinced today? Or do you kind of feel like you're flip-flopping? How, how many people feel that they are commended, that they are commendable? This, this is kind of the definition we're going to use for faith from Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. And notice how the author of Hebrews doesn't necessarily come right out and say what faith is. He says what faith does, what faith looks like, how faith is demonstrated. That's what we're talking about today. So let's dig into each of these terms here. Now I'm going to warn you right off the bat. We're digging through three chapters, but the first two verses in these first two chapters are heavy and deep and thick. So we're going to take some time and we're going to dig into the first two verses of chapter 11, the first two verses of chapter 12. The rest, I'm going to give you a fairly brief overview. Does that sound okay? Confident. Confidence. If you look this up in the dictionary, it will say being sure and secure in your own capacities. <laughs> now, I could say and I could be confident in playing hockey. I could show up there, lace up my skates, put on the equipment, hold my chin high believe for the best. If you believe it, you can achieve it. You know, you can be whatever you want to be. And I could hit that ice and fall flat on my face because I don't know how to play hockey. But I could be totally confident. It's, it's not confidence in your own capacity and in your own ability. The confidence and the assurance, the faith that we're talking about is only as strong as the object in which you place it. That's why Jesus says you can have faith as a mustard seed and move a mountain. Because it's not about the amount of faith, it's what your faith is placed in. People can say all they want, I'm, I'm not a person of faith. But everybody places their faith in something on a daily basis. The old example is the chair you're sitting in, right? Now when you came in, did you check it? Did you see that all the screws were in? I can guarantee there's chairs in here where the screws aren't in all the way, so maybe you want to check when you come in, but I guarantee none of you did. You just trusted. You had confidence in that chair because last time you were here, it held you up, so what's the difference this time? Does anybody watch Bear Grylls? Man versus Wild, Running Wild. I, I really enjoy this guy. He's a spokesperson for the Alpha program. He's he was in the British SAS, like this is a cool dude. He was one of the youngest guys to summit Everest, and he had broken his back just a year earlier 
in a, a low-altitude parachute. Anyway, he's, he's a cool dude, right? We were watching an episode the other day where he's got a guest on. This guy climbs the craziest things you would imagine. He comes up to this ravine, I think maybe it was in Sweden, and he pulls the rope out of his backpack, and he starts looking for where he's going to tie it on so he can rappel down over this 150-foot drop. And he picks this little shrub that's coming up out of the ground. That's all it was, a shrub. That's not an exaggeration. This little plant, maybe this tall, growing out of the snow. He ties his rope around it, and he just jumps off this cliff. That's confidence. Isn't it? He's placing his full confident assurance into that little shrub to hold him when he repels over that cliff. Confidence. Confidence. It's the Greek term hypostasis, which means a lot to you, doesn't it? Uh, but if you break it down, it's two words, hypo, which means under, and histemi, which means to stand. What are you standing under? What's under you to stand on? It's the picture of a foundation. It's the picture of what's holding you up. Where do you find your confidence? Faith is only as strong as the object that you place it in. And for the believer, our confidence is in things hoped for, but unseen foundations of a home usually you don't see them because they're underground aren't they the wise man dug down deep and he built his foundation on the rock love that picture of digging down deep it looked just like the fool's house but it was founded on the rock christ alone the cornerstone i, I love that song albert barnes says this we do not see the things of eternity you can't see them the wind blows where it wishes and you do not know where it goes you can't see the wind but you can see the effects of the wind. We do not see spiritual things of eternity. And then he says, we do not see God or heaven or the angels or the redeemed in glory or the crowns of victory or the harps of praise, but we have faith in them. And this leads us to act as if we saw them. Choosing to act as if what you can't see is actually what you do see. What if eternity was before your eyes every day, every moment, every decision, every situation? If the choice that you were to make was in light of eternity, how would that affect your confidence, your decisions, your focus, your priorities? Confidence, living like we're looking at heaven. And then conviction, convinced. What does it mean to be convinced? Well, it means to be persuaded. It means to be, to be proved true by argument, to understand, to believe, to receive. Sometimes we translate it this way, and this is the definition for faith that I often hear. Trust and belief. Confidence, conviction. Trust and belief. Conviction is being convinced by an argument to believe something to be so because you've seen enough evidence, you've tested it, you've proven it to be true. The Amplified Bible says the conviction of their reality, the unseen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. To the believer, being convinced means taking God at his promises. That when God says so, 
it will be so because God is so. And we, we can take as faith his promise and translate it into fact because we've seen him come through on his promise time and time and time again. Matthew Henry says, it's expecting that God will perform all he has promised to us in Christ. And it's this persuasion that gives the soul to enjoy those things now. Joy in the unseen. Maybe I can explain it this way. Uh, we've been kind of locked down. The Atlantic bubble hasn't been open. We have friends in New Brunswick. We have family in PEI, family up in Ontario. I'm sure you do too. You wish you could see them. What if they called up and said, just got the news, border's going to open, I am coming for a visit because I don't want to miss this opportunity. April 2nd, I'll be there, Easter weekend. Now you haven't seen them yet. They haven't gotten their car yet. They haven't crossed the border yet. They haven't showed up in your driveway. You haven't hugged in the doorway, but you get that sense of joy, don't you? Because you know they're coming. Even though you don't see it yet, even though it hasn't materialized, you know their promise is true. You know you're going to see them, and you start to well up with joy before it ever happens. Right? It's like a child leading up to Christmas. They see it in the distance. They see the signs coming, and they can feel the joy welling up inside. Albert Barnes says this, when talking about the promises of God, he says, those declarations, those promises, are to my mind more convincing proof than anything else would be. They are more conclusive evidence than would be the deductions of my own reason. God's promises have more weight than man's logic. Have you experienced that to be true? God's promises hold more weight in convincing us than our own logic. God's promise is the greatest evidence for convincing faith. You know, maybe you're here today, maybe you're participating online, and you would say, you know what? It takes a lot to convince me. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you grew up with a parent who said, as soon as school's done, I'm going to be here to pick you up, and you could trust them. You believed them. And they came through and picked you up while I was the kid left on the sidewalk. My parents didn't show up to pick me up. And I learned at a, a young age not to believe people, not to be convinced by what people say. Well, can I just prove to you for a moment that you are convinced by what people say? Let me just give you one quick example. Everyday example, okay? You're picking out a TV. And because it's 2021, you're shopping on Amazon, right? How many people learned to buy their Christmas gifts online this year? Yeah, that's me right here. You know what I figured out on Amazon? That would be great, Steve. Thank you. Is that when you're trying to decide between two products that look very similar, thank you very much. It's all good. Faith. We're going on faith. He, he, he was wondering if uh, there's a name written on the lid. Somebody else might have drank out of it, but... We're going on faith, right? <laughs> Let's say you've narrowed it down to two options. Virtually the same TV, just a different label on, on the bottom of it here. It's the same definition, the same size, the same price, uh, the same amount of HDMI ports in the back. I don't know what you look for in a TV. I, I'm not big on technology. I have no idea. But these TVs are virtually identical. 
Now, let's do, let's do a little exercise here. If you're participating at home, write it in the chat. How do you decide between the two? Anybody? I heard it. Reviews. Reviews. Nailed it. Let's say this TV right here, it's got 5,000 reviews, which isn't uncommon on Amazon, apparently. 4.5 stars. The first few comments say, love this TV. Great TV for the money. Good budget option. Love having the three HDMI ports. The picture, crystal clear. Hasn't touched my energy bill. I don't, I don't know what people review on TVs. So 5,000 reviews, 4.5 stars. Now this TV right here, virtually identical, just a different brand, three reviews. The first one says in all caps with exclamation points, do not buy this TV. The second one says, I barely had it plugged in when the screen just disappeared. The third one says, I tried to return it and they wouldn't take my money. They've been having too many returns of this TV, so I'm stuck with it. Which TV are you going to buy? Which one are you convinced on? The one that 5,000 people said 4.5 stars? Or the one that three people yelled at you, do not make the same mistake I did? You, you might not call yourself a person of faith. You might not call yourself a trusting person. You might feel jaded or cynical. But there are everyday examples where we trust the opinion, the review, the testimony, the witness, if I could say, of people that we don't even know. You're a person of faith. I'm a person of faith because everybody is a person of faith. Because Ecclesiastes says he's placed eternity in our hearts. Let's keep moving on. Let's talk about commendation. To be commended. And then we're going to keep moving on here. It means acceptance, approval, to be given a good review, spoken well of. Just like that TV we talked about. You could put the term justified in there. So, we trust, we believe, we are justified. Salvation is through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. By faith alone. Uh, it's from the word martis, which means martyr or eyewitness. We're going to talk about that again. Do you realize someone's always watching? Whether or not they write a review on Amazon, they are making a mental review of what they see in you. You might say, well, you know what? I learned a long time ago that I don't live for the opinion of other people, so therefore I don't care what other people think. And I get the logic there but we are sent to demonstrate faith. We're to be witnesses. Josh, Josh was wearing a shirt, still, well, he's still wearing a shirt, yeah. It says, my lighthouse on it. We are sent to reflect the light of the world. And we should care what people see in us, how they view Christ through us. We're sent to demonstrate the life of faith to the people around us. What man thinks is one thing, what we think about ourselves is an even more important thing, but the ultimate thing is what God thinks of us. Because there are many witnesses in this scenario that we're talking about. We're going to talk about even more. God's witnessing us, and he's testifying to us of the faith that he has placed within us because faith is a gift. 
we are testifying to ourselves and witnessing to the world around us of what we believe faith to be. And the community around us is witnessing who God is based on what they see in our life. We're sent to demonstrate the life of faith. Then the author does the same thing that we just kind of did. He talks about all these reviews of faith. All these people who tried out the life of faith. Not just tried out, but they lived it. They lived the life of faith. And here's what they had to say. Here's the result for it. Here's how many stars they would give it, I guess you could say. And he lists all of these people through history who put faith to work in their lives. And the reason for this list is not to elevate these heroes of the faith as we've done. One commentator I was reading was talking about in an ancient medieval castle, how they would have hallways and they would have tapestries on either side of all of the kings and monarchs and knights who had gone on before and their picture would be embroidered and as you walk down, it would be a reminder of the legacy, the hall of faith, the heroes of the faith that have gone on before, almost like we're worshiping them. That's, that's not the point of what we see here. The, the point, as far as I can tell, is to level the playing field, not to exalt any one person. There's, there's a prostitute in this list. Is that not something? There, there's murderer in this list. There are people who have done things in this list, but because of the life of faith, they, they were commended through their faith, not by their works, but through their faith. You know the glaring similarity that I see through all of these people listed? It's three things. I'm trying to remember what are those three things. Oh yeah, right here. They were confident. They were confident in the Christ who would come. They were confident in the kingdom to come. They were confident in the new Jerusalem, the new world, the heaven that was to come. They were confident of a future hope. And then they were convinced that if God promised it, it would be as he promised. And then they were commended. Each one of them was commended by their faith. Let me just run quickly through this list. We don't have time to look at them all. But we have uh, right from creation to entering into the promised land. It's like an overview of the Old Testament. You wonder why we're going through the Bible in three years? Well, it's because of passages like this that take the New New Testament, New Covenant idea and point back to the Old Testament to show how it builds itself. Uh, You got creation. Then you have Abel, Adam and Eve's son. He was commended by faith through an acceptable sacrifice. You have Enoch, who walked with God and was not because God took him. He didn't see death. You have Noah. Think about Noah. Think about this. How much confidence do you have to have when you've never seen rain, never seen a flood, you live in a desert environment, to say, you know what? I'm going to take, how long was it? A hundred some years he's building the ark before the, the floodwaters come? And he's confident in something that he cannot see, has never seen, nobody's ever seen, and they're all making fun of him for it. And he's convinced that God's promise to build this ark out of gopher wood because there's a coming flood, he was convinced of God's promise and he gave his life to it. And he was commended because when the world was under the flood waters, he was riding on top in that ark that God told him to build. Through faith, Noah. You have Abraham. There's a big section given to Abraham because 
This is the book to the Hebrew Christians, the Hebrew church. Abraham is Father Abraham to the Hebrew people. He's a big deal. You think about Abraham called out from the Ur of the Chaldees to a land that he would be shown. Not knowing where he was going, left everything behind. Is that confidence? What about conviction? Sarah being told that you're going to have a kid. Yeah, you're in your 90s. You're, a, you're, a, you're an old woman, but you're going to be able to have a child. That's my promise to you. You think about the conviction it takes to believe that. But then they were commended when they received their child of promise. And then it talks about Isaac being offered on the altar. You know, Abraham did not expect a ram because he says God can bring him back from the dead. Abraham was totally ready to go through with it. You have Jacob, who gives blessings to Joseph's sons. Then you have Joseph, who says, don't leave my bones in Egypt, because the Hebrew people aren't staying slaves in Egypt. There's coming a day when they're going to be freed, and I want my bones to go to the promised land. Confidence. Red Sea crossing. You ever walk between two walls of water? Take some confidence. Jericho. How silly would it be? Running around this city day after day, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and then blowing trumpets. Confidence. Conviction. And then you have Rahab, who was in the wall, who hid the spies. And then from verses 32 to 38, it's a summary of everyone else. And it lists all these martyrs of the faith, not by name, but by situation. How, how they gave their lives, and how they were commended by faith. And then you come to verses 39 and 34 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. Did you realize we were listed in Scripture there? These epistles written to the New Testament church Hebrews is written to the New Testament church. We are the New Testament church. He's provided something better for us. Now, now why did all these people who are listed not receive the promise? What was the promise? They were looking ahead to the coming Messiah. They were looking ahead to the coming Christ. They were looking ahead to the age of grace. They were looking ahead to when God would abolish the law and instate grace through the blood of his son they're looking ahead they didn't get to see it in their time but we do do you realize what a privilege it is that we get to turn and we get to look back and we get to see that jesus actually did come and this is what it was like and this is what it said and this is how he died for us and this is how he rose again from the tomb and this is how we receive salvation by grace through faith do you realize how incredible it is that we get to look back we don't have to look ahead in promise we can look back knowing that it actually happened do you know you have more grounds for faith than abraham had do you know you have more revealed truth than any of those Old Testament heroes of the faith ever had? Do you realize the Christ that they were waiting for is the Jesus we're going to celebrate next weekend? We're celebrating today, but next weekend's Easter, Good Friday. We're going to celebrate all that he accomplished for us because we get to look back and see it. They had to look ahead in faith. There are still elements where we have to look ahead in faith, aren't there? And we're going to mention those here as we continue to move on. God has given us 
something better. We have more to rely on. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to spend some time in these two verses here. Our remaining time, the bulk of it's going to be right here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How many people are excited when I read the word run? Does anybody jog in here? Any marathoners? Okay, yeah, Luke, he's a big jogger. Marathoners are a rare breed, let me tell you. I've tried running. I'm still trying running. I think I'll always be trying running because it just does not come naturally. Let's talk about the cloud of witnesses. A lot of focus goes here. Who is the cloud of witnesses? Well, the first understanding would be all those people that we just talked about in chapter 11. The great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before, lived the life of faith and are no longer here on earth, but there is a spiritual realm where in fact they are cheering us on. The other understanding, because witnesses is the term martyr, is that it's the martyrs who've gone on before, the people who have lived their life of faith and have given their lives in faith are now cheering us on. The other understanding is a very basic one. People are watching. People are always watching. You think about the ancient Olympics in Greece. And they would come into those coliseums, those bandstands. They would start the race. I don't know where the race would end, maybe back in there. But they'd have all these people in the stands watching. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let's talk about these two. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I love how there's a differentiation between weight and sin. Because not everything that weighs you down is sin. Do you realize that? Potentially, weight could be referring to traditions, methods, ways of doing things that aren't necessarily good or bad, but may have already served their purpose and are no longer needed for you to be carrying. Do you get what I'm saying? Let me tell you a little story. I, I've done the Funday footpath a few times in New Brunswick. It's 53 kilometers, uh, two nights. I led a group of 13 guys, which was a mistake from the beginning. That's too many people. If you ever do a hike, keep it under 10 people. We had uh, my buddy Sam. It was his first time hiking. Great guy. We've laughed about this since, so I can share it. He was way overprepared, as most people are the first time doing that. Uh, multiple pairs of shoes, multiple pairs of clothing, uh, hard plastic containers to keep the food in, but after you eat the food, you still have this container to carry. Heavy, dense food, like bag of apples. Uh, he brought this pot that you can make a pasta supper for a family of eight out of, and that was for him. And it didn't all fit in his backpack, so he hung it off the back of his backpack. So you could hear him coming everywhere. It was the best bear bell I've ever heard. <laughs> But every step that he took, it would bang off the back of his legs. Can you imagine? 53 kilometers. We made it 25 kilometers. And then we had a chat. <laughs> How much is that pot worth? Is it your mom's? Is she going to be mad? We'll take the heat for you. We left it on the beach halfway through. And we had the conversation with his mom. It wasn't his fault. We told him to leave it. But you cannot go through this life carrying unnecessary weight if we're called to race. How much stuff are you carrying that you will never pull out of that bag and use because it's unnecessary? 
old traditions, old habits, old methods, things that you haven't used in years, but things that maybe you've put on the same level as truth and message and gospel and mission. And then, of course, there's sin, the sin that clings so closely. Maybe it's clinging because you're holding it closely, or maybe it's clinging in the sense that you just can't get away from it. Sin is sin. Uh, The definition I like to use with kids is sin is anything we think, anything we say. You need actions when you talk to kids, right? Anything we do that goes against God's word or God's ways. What sin is it for you? Because everybody is predisposed to, to a different temptation. I don't know what it is for you. What is clinging so closely to you, either because you're trying to hide it or because you're trying to push it away and you just can't get that thing that I want to do, I don't do, but I do the thing I don't want to do. You remember Paul talking about that, that confusing verse? Lay aside every weight and let's run the race. Because this life is a race. Because we're, as a church, we're not called to sit. We're not called to sleep. We're sent. We're sent to demonstrate. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe, maybe that sin that you deal with, that you don't think is, is harming anybody, and it's just your, you know, when it first started, it was cute and cuddly, so you fed it, but now it's so big, it's, it's going to devour you, and it's kind of holding you back in the race. Do you ever think about how it affects the people around you? The people who have to carry you on in the race? Oftentimes we get so selfish, we're, we're thinking how it affects us, but how would it affect the people around us, the people who are seeking to spur us on, that cloud of witnesses who is calling out, run the race of faith. Verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12. You know what's really important as a runner? Is where, where you're looking. You know why they put those blinders on horses, right? To focus on the finish line. Well, Jesus is the finish line, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him is his confident hope in the future that is to come in heaven. His endurance of the cross, the shame, that's the conviction to press on through the hard times confidence, conviction. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You know what that means? Just picture a relay race. Jesus starts the race. He hands you the baton. But Jesus also finishes the race because he's the anchor leg runner. So you hand the baton right back to him. Jesus is the founder, the starter, the author, the originator of our faith. Faith is a gift that we receive from God. Revelation is a gift that he reveals to us. Any reason we have to believe in God is because he's revealed it to us. Faith is a gift from God. Jesus starts the race. He has accomplished everything on the cross. He's accomplished everything in rising again from the tomb. He's handed us the baton in faith. And then we get to turn around and we get to hand it back to him. And he also finishes the the race of faith. He's the perfecter. He's not only the starter, he's the finisher. All of this story is encompassed in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is discipleship. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. That's the race of faith. We are disciples called to make disciples, and it's all about Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And then we have this beautiful picture of how he's seated in heaven 
on the throne of God because that's our ultimate goal. That's where our gaze is fixed. As we're running this race of faith, we're looking ahead to the life that is unseen yet. That kingdom life that we get to experience little bits and pieces of here, but that we will fully know someday in eternity in the presence of God. That's, that's our focus. That's the finish line. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Anytime we talk about running, exercise, maybe that's your first response. Oh, do I have to, right? Weary, faint-hearted. In your struggle, because running is a struggle. It's a struggle for everybody. I don't know if anybody's figured it out that, you know, it's just galloping gracefully. It's a struggle. Against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I have a mentor who's a great friend who always said, and he said it to me a few times, you're going through something tough? At least, at least you don't have to die on a cross. Right? You facing a tough situation? Do you have to have a tough conversation? Well, Jesus already faced the toughest of situations. He already died on the cross for you so that you don't have to. Anything that you have to do, any struggle, faint-hearted weariness that you are facing, pales into comparison for what he's already faced for you. Let me summarize the rest. I know we made it to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. Let me summarize the rest. Those were some deep verses. In the few moments we have left, let me summarize. Two points. You got to dig up the roots. You got to make sure that you don't sell out. What do roots do? You ever run on a trail with roots? They trip you up, don't they? He's referring to the root of bitterness. How in relationships, we get so caught up with the people around us and we forget to look to eternity, to Jesus, to the one who's gone before, the author and finisher of our faith. We get into these petty squabbles, don't we? And it lets these roots grow up that trip us up. Have you ever been driving the car and looked out the window for too long? What happens when you look back? You've, you've either turned towards where you're looking or you've turned away from it, right? You ever seen this video clip? Do you know what, what's about to happen? It's not a video clip. I'm just going to show you two images. Hopefully you can see it. This guy is in a pack of runners. And you can't see it, but right behind these guys is a cement pole. Now, if we run this race and we're too busy looking at the people around us, sometimes we miss obstacles in our path and we run right into them. You seen that video? That poor guy didn't see it coming because the other people were blocking him from it. We have to dig up the roots. We have to get rid of the obstacles in our path. We can't let relational conflict keep us from running the race of faith. And then we cannot sell out. Man, as you're running, there's all those uh, refill stations, aren't they? Refreshment stations. I don't know what they serve there. Chocolates, pasta for carbs, water, I'm sure, Gatorade. Sometimes we get tempted to stop and smell the roses when we're supposed to be running to the finish line. He lists sex. He lists money. He lists popularity. Don't just run with the crowd. Don't just sell out to whatever is worthy in this life. Because your ultimate foundation, your confidence, your conviction is Jesus alone. Let me wrap this thing up. Verse 7 of chapter 13. This, 
hopefully this wraps up the whole concept of being sent to demonstrate. Remember your leaders. Who are your leaders? They're the ones who spoke to you the word of God. They're the ones who lived a certain way of life. Consider their way of life. So they spoke it, they lived it. Who are your mentors? Who do you look up to? What's the truth that they preach and how do they live it out with their lives? Imitate their faith. I don't know, for you, maybe it's a parent, it's a teacher, maybe it's a classmate, maybe it's a life group leader, a youth leader. It's probably those leaders over there in Journey Kids. Those kids are, they're going to imitate the faith of somebody, right? Whose faith is it going to be? Who's influencing you? Social media influencer? Imitate their faith. That's where I want to end on today. Each one of us has the opportunity to demonstrate a life of faith, to run the race of faith. There are people watching, just like we're watching those people who've gone before. Actually, I want to end with this. Do you know who you should be watching? Jesus Christ, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your pastor might fail you. That mentor that you've looked up for years might fail you. Your parent might leave you on the sidewalk when they've said, I'll pick you up after school, Johnny. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. He's the cornerstone on which we can build our faith. So let me end there and let me close in a word of prayer. Father God, I just want to praise you for who you are. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this race of faith that you have called us to. God, when that starting gun goes off and we leave those blocks and we start heading down the line in our race, God, help us not to take too leisurely of a place, pace, or to stop and smell the flowers or to lay down and take a nap or get too considered with what the people around us are doing. God, help us to focus on the finish line. Your glory for all of eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for what you accomplished for us. Thank you that through the book of Hebrews, we've learned that you are our great high priest. You are better. You're better than the law. You're better than the tabernacle. All these things are just shadows and you are the real substance. You are the rock that we can build our life on. God, help us not to build our life on the things of this world or what this world has to offer. Help us to build our life on a sure and steady foundation. That is who you are. God, give us confidence in that future hope. Give us conviction that you come true on your promises. God, that we may be commended by faith. Thank you for who you are to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.